Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Andrew Hines and Donald Duck Long to talk about drag racing. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Nitromethane, Harley Davidson's, and small tire competition. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is a race week, which is always exciting around these parts here in the world of NHRA competition. This weekend it will be the NHRA Dodge Nationals, the Dodge Indy Nationals presented by Pennzoil. And this race will be broadcast both on FS1 on Sunday from 11 to 1 p.m. covering qualifying. And then from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. on your local Fox affiliate on the Big Fox Broadcast Network, we'll be airing uh, the elimination rounds of the race and that'll be live coverage so make sure you tune in if you'd like to attend the race uh getting tickets for this one a little bit different than we've had in the last couple of races at lucas oil raceway indianapolis in the sense that uh, anybody can buy tickets there is no restriction in terms of who can get the tickets there is a limited number of them for sale we do assume that it will sell out but i will tell you this if you'd like to attend the race you do not have to be a ticket holder for the u.s nationals you do not have to be an nhra member you can go to nhra.com and get your tickets and again once the tickets run out they run out but there are no restrictions as far as who is able to buy them there is my public service announcement for anybody who has been jonesing to get to the drag strip and to check out some action here and i know we got three guests today that have uh, all been doing their part to keep drag racing relevant and interesting and fun over the last several months and those include tim wilkerson andrew hines and donald long those of you that know donald long his name is well nickname anyway is duck and he is the famed promoter of small tire drag races guy who created a category called Radial vs. the World, which has evolved into uh, really one of the most incredible classes of competition in the sport. So going to talk to all three of those guys about a variety of different subjects, about a variety of different things, and kind of catching up with Andrew and Tim on their programs to find out what they're planning on bringing to the table this weekend in Indy, and talking to Donald about some of the specialty events that he has held during this time of drag racing's uh, kind of great need for events. He's put a couple of them on, and I was able to uh, attend and be part of those events as well and we'll talk about all that stuff once we get to Donald a little bit later on in the show when we talk a little bit about what's been going on this season what continues to go on this season the NHRA has postponed the Menards Heartland Nationals presented by Minties that was supposed to be held in Topeka Kansas a week or two after this upcoming race in Indy Uh, local uh, let's say local regulations would not permit fans to be at that race in any sort of volume and it was the decision was made at that point to postpone the event into the fall and as we can assume uh, this will not be likely the last postponement and or schedule change made for 2020 but as everybody in the sports trying to do is trying to roll with the punches as best as possible trying to put on as many great events as we can give people the opportunity to compete and there is great competition happening across the country whether we're talking about lucas oil drag racing series action or others It was in Topeka just a week or two ago that there was a massive kind of double divisional. Hundreds and hundreds of cars racing effectively two races over the course of one weekend. Coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, it will be the JEG Sports Nationals will be happening in Epping, New Hampshire. Also a Division I divisional 
race will precede that. So kind of the same style of format we saw happen in Columbus, Ohio, just a few weeks ago with that initial Jake Sports Nationals as well as the Division Three event. So there is competition happening. The Mellow Yellow Series will be at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis, as I have been talking about here a couple of minutes ago. And it is going to be the fifth event of the 2020 season. How many events will we end up with in the 2020 season? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, the answer that we all uh, want to give is as many as possible, and that's certainly what every fan, what every competitor wants, especially those competitors that are uh, carrying sponsorship. They need to fulfill their obligations in terms of sponsorship appearances and stuff like that. So the more events, the merrier for many teams in that regard. One of the stories we got to talk about this week, the news broke uh, late last week after I had made last week's episode. John Force Racing has finally made a statement regarding their plans, their outlook, their reasoning behind what they've been doing so far in 2020, which is sitting out races. And John Force came out. He said, hey, I've sat down. I've done whatever I can do. I've sat down with all the sponsors, and we have determined that us sitting out for the rest of 2020 is in our best interest. So we will not see John Force racing at the racetrack through 2020. John says he's going to gear up, and he's going to come out swinging for 2021. Mike Salinas said the same thing. Mike Salinas is going to sit out the 2020 season. Uh, that includes Mike um, and his family. So uh, that means we will not be seeing Gianna. Uh, on the pro stock motorcycle not be seeing jasmine in an alcohol dragster or a top fueler this year and mike says hey we're gonna we're gonna kind of uh circle the wagons here get ourselves ready for 2021 and that's that he uh talks about his business which he is uh, multiple business interests out in california that are very very busy at this time he's in logistics and trucking and uh, certainly some essential services that are being uh, I don't want to say pushed to the limit but are certainly being worked very very hard over the course of this ever-changing COVID-19 situation in the United States so there you have it and you know for John Force's decision making his statement was a very John Force like statement it was uh, kind of a stream of consciousness uh it was very long for a statement of this variety. A lot of times we see race teams that are going to make an announcement like this. It's fairly curt. It's four or five sentences. It's uh, very kind of cut and dried. Uh, but this was a John Force statement, so it does have some uh, some twists and turns, and certainly you can read it in his voice as you read the quotes in it. You can certainly hear him saying these things that are on paper. But bottom line is they have determined with their sponsors, they have determined with their organization that 2020 is not going to be a year that they're going to contest for a championship so that means Robert Height will not be going back to back we'll find out who can win the funny car championship this year and right now it looks to be about a three-horse race between Hagen between Tommy Johnson Jr. and between Jack Beckman all three of those cars have been running on mean the last several races but that's enough about funny cars. We should really be talking about motorcycles because we will see Pro Stock Motorcycle for the second time of the season at this upcoming Dodge Indy Nationals presented by Pennzoil. And we'll also be setting up the Mickey Thompson Pro Bike Battlefield. So who better to speak to about the Pro Stock Motorcycle category and the Pro Bike Battle than a guy who has won more of them than anybody else? Andrew Hines. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to be headed back to uh, to basically your neighborhood this weekend, uh, back to Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. And I wanted to catch up with you because obviously we kind of we kind of picked up the uh, Pro Stock motorcycle season the way we left it off in Pomona last year. It's a pretty wild, uh, pretty wild opening salvo there a couple weeks ago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the the first event of the season kind of 
can throw a wrench in plans for people across the whole series. So, you know, for us, it was our motorcycle opener because we didn't get to run Gainesville and I uh, wound up with a, a different wild card win in that race with Ryan Ayler taking up the win and, uh, you know, Matt Smith not quite pulling it off there in the final and I kind of stumbled there in the semis. So different deal, but uh, it was nice to get back racing. Believe me, it was, it was nice to go fast again. I love getting on the Harley and, and ripping down the track and going as fast as we can. Yeah, it's a, a very different environment. I know you guys have uh, you know tested motorcycles to get ready for the race, but when you're actually out there and, and competing, totally different scene. I, I wanted to get your perspective a little bit. I was able to talk to Ryan a week or two ago on the show, and it's always cool to talk to a guy who's uh, you know picks up his first win at this level, and he's won you know in other places before, but really never at this level. You've been there before. You were a young guy that picked up your first victory. You know, do you look at a moment like that and see a guy like Ryan and think, okay, like this kid's this kid's doing the right things. He's kind of earned his spot, and I think he's definitely he and his dad have brought their program a long way. Yeah, absolutely. He definitely he's been grinding to get to that point. You know, I've I've saw him uh, actually out at like Wednesday night testing at Lucas Oil Raceway before he even came pro stock racing back when he was running his uh, his uh, AMRA Pro Mod bike and watching that thing, uh, watching him ride. I you know he had a respectable level of of uh professionalism just on a wednesday night test session i'm like wow this kid's actually doing the right stuff and i could tell he was a good rider and you know once he's jumped into the nhra ranks you could tell he he adapted to it pretty quick and he made all the right moves by getting the right body work and and working on their engine program to get that up to spec and you know he's done a looks like just but watching through facebook i haven't actually been out to his shop but seeing what he's done to uh to move his program along instead of just being stagnant and buying parts from other people or renting bikes, he's uh, pushed himself forward as, as fast as he can. And he's definitely deserving of it. He's, he's come a long way and he's, uh, you know, picked up the power he's needed to run in the front with all the, the top guys. Yeah, and it's cool. I think, uh, you know, for any class, no matter what it is in drag racing to be successful, you have to have uh, kind of a, to me, an even mix. You have to have the the industrial side of it where an operation like Vance and Hines can provide people the service that they can call up and they can buy an engine, they can have their, their parts serviced. You have to have the other side of it where there are people willing to, to kind of put their own time and sweat into it because it gives everybody a little bit a little bit of a different angle to root for, right? You can root for the guy building his own stuff. You can root for the guy that's that's working his way up the ranks, doing it a different way. And I know your perspective in drag racing is very interesting to me because, you know, you, you understand the history of the sport. You certainly pay attention to pretty much every aspect of it. And I'm interested in your, in your kind of take on that. I mean, I think for a pro stock motorcycle to be as healthy as it can be, we need the Ryan Ehlers as much as we need the Vance and Hines. Absolutely. You know, you got to have uh, both aspects of it. You know, we, we can support Advance and Hines of people that want to come in and buy a package and be competitive right out of the box. Or, you know, if people want to take it to a different level and, and go with a different power plant or, or uh, you know, have their own pride in working on finding horsepower and, you know, working long hours. You know, some of these, most of these people have, have a normal day to day job sure. and, and working on their stuff till midnight or 2 a.m. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different level. And you see them grinding and going out to the racetrack and they're, they're beat down, tired, but they can go out there and enjoy themselves and have uh, that different level of success when they when they know that they've built everything they can to to get to that next level. So, you know, it's really cool to see the people that have come through the sport in the last 20 years since I've been involved in it and see uh, what people have done to get to uh, different levels of, of performance. And it's, uh, you know, we've had it, you know, we've had it run the gamut between all different companies throughout the series and, you know, the 30 years. And, um, it's still going the same way today. You know, you got people that can come out there and, and swing a leg over a rented motorcycle and get in the field, and you got guys that can work on their own power plants and, and obviously win races. 
you know, let's talk a little bit about the fact that we have our Mickey Thompson Pro Bike Battle coming up. Um, thankfully, I would say for your team, uh, both you and Eddie are in. Uh, Angel is, I would say, comfortable, not totally locked yet, but she basically just has to do a, um, a, a serviceable job qualifying, and she will be part of the Pro Bike Battle. But we get to lock it down at this race. And as 2020 is the year of nothing is normal, uh, we'll be running the Pro Bike Battle at the U.S. Nationals, which I think is kind of cool <laughs> in and of itself, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's going back to an old normal tradition. That that event was held there for decades. I mean, uh, I, th- I won my first one there in 2004 when it was back in the, the K&M Clash. And, um, you know, my brother won a few when it was the Wax Shop Dash and and whatever else it was when he was running. So it's... Uh, it's that's a cool event you know it's a it's a less pressure situation it's something you qualify for it's your basically your average qualifying position over a year which unfortunately this year is not but still going all the way back to sonoma last year um and i you know i think i've excelled in in different situations i i, I wish i could have you know maybe parlayed that into maybe more wally wins but <laughs> um you know i've won the battle seven times and then the uh the four wide race in charlotte four times so it's like these specialty events that seem to do better in them than a standard two wide race or you know a points race yeah it's uh it, it's i think for all of us too that that really enjoy pro stock motorcycle racing it's it's always cool when you have the specialty event and i do like the fact that it's going to be an indie kind of back in my mind almost where it belongs i feel like um you know, when we have the the one-off races, the Sonoma element of it's great because Sonoma is such a unique place and it is cool and it puts on a great show up there. But uh, to me, all roads always come back to the U.S. Nationals. And I know that we've raced at Lucas Oil Raceway now, what, four or five, a hundred times this year. It doesn't really matter to me as long as we're racing somewhere. Um, so the fact that that event will be contested at Indy, I really think puts it kind of back on the pedestal it should be on. Yeah, and uh, for us, you know, it's almost like a little home field playing advantage. I mean, we're dynoing two miles down the road away from the, the track at our shop at Vance and Hines, and it's, uh, we're, we're developing our horsepower in the air of this facility, so I feel like we have that little bit of extra advantage, and, and then it all just comes down to, you know, power management off the starting line and how quick you can get it to the, the finish line. So, But we, uh, we're usually accustomed to running out here in this, this type of conditions, and uh, August has been pretty good for us in Indy, whether it's been test sessions or the U.S. Nationals or the Pro Bike Battle over the years. So looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's going to be nice having fans in the stands and running for a big paycheck from Mickey Thompson Tires. Absolute fact on the, on both of those accounts. Coming out of that first race, uh, kind of what did you what did you take away from the first weekend, uh, basically as a whole from the three motorcycles that uh, that you were competing with? Uh, we did okay. Uh, obviously, Eddie qualified number one. That was that was fantastic to get him some more performance. And then uh, I qualified number three after Matt Smith bounced me there by a couple thousands on the second qualifier. But um, we we learned a lot of things with our setup that we built for 2020 for racing. You know, we, we went to Orlando to test prior to Gainesville, and we thought we ran okay. Uh, there was nobody to run against because we were basically the only pro bike set, uh, testers there on that those days we were there. A couple people tested the day after, but. Uh, we felt like we ran okay, but I think hindsight, had we gone to Gainesville, we would have been behind the ball a little bit. So uh, kind of revamped our engine program and uh, some of the chassis stuff here the last month, basically since uh, Indy 1 for us, and said, okay, we, we had some, some parts attrition we needed to address, and and uh, ultimately I think we weren't as fast on Sunday as we should have been. So we kind of reset, regrouped, and uh, you know took a couple steps back and opened our eyes and said, hmm, that was a big problem. <laughs> we need to fix that. So, uh, 
doing been doing a lot of dyno work here lately and uh, i think we have made some some positive improvements that'll keep us uh, going longevity and you know maybe even run harder towards the front you know not knowing uh, how many races there will be not knowing when the 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 music stops here this game of musical chairs we're playing in in 2020 um i don't want to say it's a desperation but do do these events, do these qualifying sessions, do these rounds carry a little bit of extra weight, kind of knowing that we don't know what's going to be happening in the next two, three, four weeks even? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, we're, we're looking at this season as, you know, when when all the COVID deal was announced and all the quarantines started happening and races were being shut down, we're thinking, okay, if we can get, you know, 13 races in our season, which typically our motorcycle season 16, we thought, well, that'd be fantastic. And then you know, we got, we have sponsor obligations with Harley Davidson and Vance and Hines and, and uh, making all those people happy. But then, you know, it, it, now it seems like, you know, if we can get eight in, we're going to be you know, <laughs> looking really good. So we've only run one and uh, we're going to try and get the second one under our belt and then run the U S nationals and, and see what happens. But man, it would be, that, that's why we're kind of, we're pushing forward as hard as we can in our, some of our guys, the shop are, are, uh, you know, having to deal with the pain of last minute changes, but it's just, uh, it's the push forward to try and make sure that in these, you know, shortened races and seasons, we got to make sure we get all the qualifying bonus points we can and make sure those round wins come easily on Sunday. So pushing forward for it. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I've been dealing with, not dealing with, I've been watching and grinding my teeth over is, you know, some of the, uh, people that supposed to call themselves fans of drag racing, which I can go down that rabbit hole a whole different direction. But there are people on the internet, uh, you'd be shocked to hear this, that think, you know, oh, they should just park the season. You know, th- whoever wins this thing, it, it doesn't even really count anyway. And I, of course, am vehemently opposed to this viewpoint. And I feel like people have no clue about how even champions were crowned in the NHRA back in the day. Like people have no idea that basically if you won the world finals, you were the world champion. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't feel like this season uh, is it's obviously shorting people the number of races and everything else. But I don't feel like the people who are crowned champions this year have done any less to earn it than people have in the past. Yeah, we're all working towards that same goal. And whether it's, you know, it's it's even just like the countdown, you know. Years ago in the countdown in uh, 2007, we had four, well, technically in 07, we had three events for motorcycle to start the countdown and then two events to end this, the second half of the countdown. So it's almost like looking at it from that aspect, like it's going to be a limited number of races potentially. And you can't just shut down the season. I mean, NHRA is doing the right thing. They know we need to be out there for their exposure and for all the exposure of the sponsors in the series. And then it's supporting the not just the racers. It's it's all these people have the jobs to go to these events. So if NHRA doesn't hold races, sponsors could disappear, families could have a lot more hardships. So it's it's the responsibility of everybody involved to make sure we can keep the, the wheels turning. Yeah, that's a fact. And America would be robbed of my brilliance on the television if we didn't go racing either, which would be the biggest tragedy of all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I guess uh, one last question before I let you go. When we look ahead. Uh, when we look ahead to this upcoming weekend, uh, weather-wise, we're looking like we're going to be kind of in the same ballpark we have been. So I've asked this question before, but the amount of times we're able to run on the same racetrack, it's got to help guys like you, anybody that's tuning their motorcycles, just in terms of consistency, right? When you know where the bumps are, when you know where the thin spots are going to be probably as the track develops over the course of the day. These things should, in theory, add to the consistency of your performance, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we we know <laughs> we know a lot about Lucas Oil Raceway with the you know, the number of times we've run there for the U.S. Nationals in the last uh, 
18 years I've been racing, and I probably made more test runs at that racetrack than uh, most people have made in their careers. I mean, <laughs> there's there's been times I've been known to make you know 40 test runs a week there in in, in uh, years past. So, um, but yeah, you know, it, it still has its subtle changes that change throughout the day and and throughout the weekend depending on uh, air temperature and and track temp. I know you talked to Clay Milliken; he said the exact same thing. So, it's uh. It, but it, you know, it's still the same racetrack. We, for us on the motorcycles, you know, without having a steering wheel, we have to ride these things down the track and, and position ourselves with body weight. So we know the subtle intricacies of each racetrack along the circuit, and we know how the right lane in Indy is, is affected compared to the left lane, and where it's going to pull you to the center line or pull you to the wall. And we can move rear steer and the rear axle to account for that. So that's probably the biggest dividend is you can get your chassis set up right for the for that facility and know that you can get to go straight down the racetrack. And you know if you let go of the handlebars and close your eyes you're going to get to the finish line so it's uh you know you just got to deal with the wind a little bit but um you know deal with dealing with the starting line and the, as the rubber's changing it's not uh not any different than another event at somewhere else in the country but uh you know we just take it in stride and you know mother nature's going to give us about the same weather as we had at indy one so we can uh shake the can and see what what dice roll out and we'll put that tune up in there <laughs> nice and actually i do have one more before i let you go the last time i saw you you had uh you had showed me and i don't want to reveal it unless declan may be listening to this uh you had revealed to me what you were going to give declan your son for his birthday has he received that gift he has he uh he got his little uh kawasaki street bike uh, <laughs> z125 the other day you know uh unfortunately harley doesn't make one small enough for him yet so uh we had to go with that route and uh he's been riding up and down the street having fun with it you know he's he's uh i'm trying to keep him ahead of my pace my dad bought me my first clutch bike when i was 10 that was a four-wheeler <laughs> so i got him his first clutch bike when he's uh right before he turned 10 and it's a you know a little street bike he can ride around and uh you know he rips the dirt bikes around the backyard and tears up my grass but now he's got something to go uh ride in the parking lot at vance and hines and have fun and um he's just uh he's a little gearhead like me he likes to tinker on stuff and, and figure out how to go faster and ride faster and and be better than dad was at that same age that's always his competition <laughs> oh that's awesome man it's cool i'm glad to hear that uh glad to hear that he's out there putting some putting some miles on that thing and uh i'm looking forward to seeing you guys in competition this weekend at lucas oil raceway man thanks for coming on yep we'll be out there we'll see you brian thanks all right for the first time ever joined by a guest we have not had on the show before mr donald long of duck x productions how you doing duck Good, brother. Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I wanted to catch up with you for a while uh, on this show because I know a lot of NHRA fans and, and people that follow drag racing probably know a little bit about what you do and certainly know a little bit about the events you put on, whether we're talking about Lights Out or No Mercy or even over the last couple of months, the Magic 8 and then earlier the COVID 8 that were two specialty events in Florida. But I want to kind of fill in the whole story. So, where did you come from is the big question. Cause a lot of people, I don't think realize that you were a racer long before you promoted events. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and before that, of course I was, uh, into the big slick tire stuff, uh, but don't tell anybody that, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yeah, we ran, we ran a lot of outlaw 10, five and, uh, you know, like, a call it pro mod, but you know, uh, quick eight stuff locally. Um, and then, um, you know, I really, really loved the whole, um, real looking cars and and that's where you know some of the classes get away from that now a little bit but um you know i like the 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 steel body cars and the and the um you know the, the small tire stuff you know yeah and you know your your mission kind of became promoting radial tire style races out of honestly a lack of respect that that style of drag racing was getting right i mean that was really the thing that kind of got you got the ball rolling as far as you putting on your own events 
Yeah, and so when you when you drive through the gate, Brian, unless you unless you really race these events back then, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't understand. But I swear to you, you drive through the gate and they'll be like, uh, "What class you running?" Oh, stock suspension or radio? Yeah, just go on back as far as you can see, all the way down to end, make a left down there. You know, go, go, go down to the portal and make a hard left right past that. And uh, and that's really and and what my deal was with it with the uh, with a lot of the classes, and you know, uh, they don't we don't really allow wheelie bars yeah. in about. 95% of what we do. And um, to me, they, they were very action-packed. Uh, you know, obviously fans love a good uh, good 100-foot wheelie out there, 300-foot wheelie or whatever. And and to me, they brought a lot of excitement. And I just didn't think they were getting maybe the respect that they were they were due. Yeah, and, and, and along the way, you know, not only have you obviously f- taken this style of racing and put it in front of a lot of people that would have never seen it before, but uh, you've done it in, in a really, I want to say colorful way, <laughs> you know, you're, it's one of the things that I think is so neat and uh, you know, full disclosure, I've worked, I've worked many of your events for years and we're friends. So that's why it's fun to have this conversation, but you're able to do things and say stuff that other people either don't want to or can't or are unable to. And that's been part of your trademark a little bit. And I think, you know, it's it's certainly gotten you a lot of attention. At some points, it's gotten you maybe some attention you haven't quite wanted to get. But at the end of the day, it has worked to build your events into very, very big spectacles. And 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 and, and going on that, the I like how you chose the word colorful. That's good. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, here here's the deal, Brian. Have I made mistakes? Obviously, yes. You know, have I said some things that I probably wouldn't. Um, wouldn't say now again yes that's probably i mean i say that of course i'll probably go do something stupid later on this <laughs> afternoon but but um you know i i've always been what i felt like is as honest as i can with the racers or, or how i feel about it um and you know it's like and i believe me i love every sponsor that we have uh i used to actually send out like a little i, I call it a disclaimer uh, when people would ask me, hey, you know, we would love to get involved and sponsor, and I, and I would send them something and say, hey, listen, you know, just so you know up front, this is the way we promote, this is the way it is, and, you know, no offense, but, you know, if, that, if that's not your style or you're not interested, then, you know, I just want to be up front with them. And so we've we've promoted the same way, um, you know, me and Lanko, Jim, and, and since the beginning. So uh, I don't look for that to change anytime soon. Um, I understand that that's definitely going to keep some maybe real, real top, top name sponsors, um, out of it, you know, and, and I feel bad that they, um, that, you know, for the racers, because, you know, if I promote it a different way, you know, maybe I could get in, um, you know, a, a Jags or, or, a you know, a good, yeah, well, you know, mail order deal or something like that. But you I know? think, I think to the, to the other side of that argument, you pay incredible sums of money at these races and you pay you pay in cash and you know that's one of the things i wanted to get into as well is the fact that you know let's say over the last 10 or 15 years in drag racing we've seen a lot of people come in and out like guys come in make a big splash and next thing you know three races into their you know promotional genius they're broke and guys are racing and not getting paid and one of the things that i've always kind of admired about the way you conduct your business is that there is not a shadow of a doubt that when you're at that event when you earn money you will be paid that money and i i feel like it's a bizarre thing to have to say that that's something to be proud of, but reality is today it is. And, and honestly, we've always wanted, you know, me and everybody, we've always wanted to be that way. I've never wanted, I don't want to leave a, a race, Brian, 
and and feel like I owe somebody money. Now, if they don't come to the tower and get it, I got to chase them yeah. down and, and pay them or something. That's different. But you know, when somebody when somebody gets done racing, um, they come up there. I want to make sure they have their money in cash. Um, uh, another thing, my problem, and listen, I, I know there's big organizations, and I understand, you know, the the way the um, the, the people are punching numbers, and you got to have checks for this and checks for that, and I and I understand that, you know, I do. Um, but here's my deal: if you come through the if you come through the gate and you pay seven or eight hundred dollars to race your car, you're buying tech cards, testing, and all that. I don't want to have it where the guy's trying to cash one of my checks at the McDonald's drive-thru to get a cheeseburger on the way home. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it, you know, it's cash in, cash out. That's that's the way, you know, that's the way that we've always been. You know, if somebody leaves and they're like, hey, man, I'm going to take my guys out to, to celebrate and then come to find out, you know, their credit card's maxed out and they got a rubber check from Duck, you know, it ain't going to fly too well. So I give them cash and, and then they can go out and celebrate and you know, or, or pay people on their team or, you know how it is. Sometimes they want to give the crew chief this much or that much. And, you know, it's, it's just one of them things. I love the whole cash deal, you know, getting these guys paid. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it was the, the biggest, the biggest cash payout I've ever seen anybody handed was, uh, Mark Mickey a few years ago when he won the, the, the first version of the sweet 16, $101,000 or $101,000 briefcase full of cash money. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. It still stands as a a very memorable thing. I want to talk to you about the kind of growth of this style of racing. We'll get into Radio vs. the World in a few minutes, but in terms of the growth of what you've done, like when did it strike you that, man, I'm onto something here? Because obviously when you got things going, it's like everything else. It starts kind of small. It starts to build a little bit of momentum, but everybody has that moment in the sport or in this the kind of adventure you've been on where it hits you, you go, whoa, like this thing's actually got some, got some juice behind it. Well, and and I'll get into it once. Again. So just to start off, I, when we started doing this, when you know, when I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. Uh, I took money from another company that I had, and it wasn't really about making any money. It wasn't a business, I guess, is what I'm saying. It was it was just one of those things where it was a hobby. I wanted to get the best of the best together. That was the whole idea. Always get the best of the best together, and you know, and pay them money. Um, I'll tell you what, I really knew. And, and a lot of times it takes people a long time. Um, with us, it really didn't. Uh, so 2008 was down at Bradenton. 2009, um, the big, the lights out, the first lights out ever was 2010. And when I saw the amount of people showed up uh, for that race, I actually was like, man, you know, this is like way more overwhelming than I ever thought. I mean, we took a we took a Friday Saturday race. We actually finished it on Sunday. You know what I mean? So it was it was one of those deals at that point. I was like, man, you know, that's really, you know, now obviously it's grown, you know, a lot since then. But just in that 2010 thing, I think kind of shook me up a little bit. And I was like, man, you know, this is, you know, this is something, you know, could be something really great for everybody. Yeah. And, and I think the other interesting thing about this, this whole progression has been, you know, it's been the Internet. Like this has not been the traditional old school you know, promoting on the radio, doing all the normal stuff. This was like grew out of, you know, yellowbullet.com was a place where this thing really, I think, kind of grew legs and then it's gone from there. But um, I guess talk a little bit about that because I think in some ways you're uh, a guy promoting races and has almost perfected a way to promote races that no one had really done before you showed up. And social media definitely gets all the credit. 
um, you know, for and, and that's the way the whole world is now. But back before even so, back up before Yellow Bullet, I don't know if I told you this story, but we have. If you go to it now, I, th I think it's just a bunch of spam. But it's actually called Drag Radio Message Board, and all it was was a blue screen, and you just typed out stuff on it, right? And it, really, you just put whatever name you wanted to. So, like, you know, back in that, had all kinds of hidden screw screen names like the Truth or Truth, and I, I would. I would post stuff just to get people really worked up and then put truth on the end of it. And that would be my screen. I'd use the word truth or whatever it was. And so that message, believe it or not, I had more fun on that blue screen. It kind of reminds me, remember the first, uh, you're, probably you're too, you're too young, but the first arcade game, you know, had a little, what was yeah, the, like was Kong. Kong or something? Kong, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's kind of like the message board was compared to Yellow Bullet. You know what I'm saying? It's like you had the Pong thing starting off, and that was the blue message board. Then, you know, obviously you go into to the Yellow Bullet days. And, you know, and Yellow Bullet was great also, but you could see, I mean, listen, there's a reason that they, there's a reason that Zuckerberg is a multi-billionaire, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we, we know that, yeah, don't get me wrong, Yellow, Yellow Bullet was okay, but Yellow Bullet ain't got the reach that, you know, Facebook has, Absolutely. you know, obviously. So when I saw that coming, you know, and, and, and there's, and wherever you are, there's always going to be some riffraff, whether you're on yellow bullet or, or Facebook or whatever. And so I just chose, you know, I was like, yeah, I looked at it, you know, you could see Facebook was the next up and coming. I should have bought a whole bunch of stock in it, but anyway, <laughs> it, you could, you could tell it was the next up and coming deal. And so that's why, you know, I swapped over and you got to get everybody by their actual names then. So like when I go to tag racers and on Facebook, it's way easier than, you know, with Yellow Bullet, they might see it, they might not. You know, yeah. with the Facebook deal, you're mentioned or you're tagged in it, you're going to be right there. Social media, definitely. I would it, I would never be 5% of what these races are without um, without social media. The class that, you know, everybody I think is just, it's a signature class of, of your races is Radio vs. the World. And, and obviously Radio vs. the World has spawned other classes. The Pro 275 category that's become so popular is kind of an offshoot of Radio vs. the World. But I want to talk specifically about RVW because I think this is the category that people listening to this podcast know you by. Uh, I think it's the one that I think, you know, we know Alex Laughlin competes in it. We know Stevie Jackson competes in it. And we know a lot of really smart guys are turning the screws on these cars. So, the growth and explosion of radio versus the world has been in my opinion like one of the most fun things i've ever seen in drag racing and to, to be a small part of seeing some of these performances come on down the line has been amazing but from your perspective you know kind of the same question as far as your events like at what point did you understand that radio versus the world might actually turn into its own entity because once it got some fire underneath it it, it went nuts it and you know, here's the deal with it's funny about that. It's kind of like I go back to like stocks. So in 2010, that's when we brought together uh, Outlaw 105, uh, Limited Street from Orska, uh, stock suspension. Um, you had the um, the the deal in um, Texas, tr Texas True 105, yep. uh, TT5, and so we brought all those together. And that was in 2010, and it really seemed like it was going to do really well. Um, but then I would say a year or two into it, it actually kind of had went up like a stock would come out and then it kind of just, it kind of nosed over a little bit, kind of plateaued off. And then I don't know, maybe 2014, it just took off like a rocket ship. 
Um, and I think just more and more people, and obviously we wanted to pay more and more money. Uh, that brings in, you know, tuners like Billy Stockland, you know, uh, Phil Schuler, you know, all these guys, they start coming over. And um, that's what really, really makes it. When you have the best tuners and then, you know, some really well-known racers and stuff, it really starts making it bigger and bigger. And so, yes, over the last you know, four or five years, it's really, really, um, it's really went up there and, and I'm, I'm happy for it. Now we've lost some racers, obviously, um, uh, you know, pro 275, big up and coming class, but you know, we have probably 20 of the world's best that are going to be fighting it out, uh, at the sweet 16. And you know, it, there it's still, people go, well, there's a lot less cars. There are, but really, those cars can't compete anyway, Brian. No, it's it's a fact, and you know the class has evolved like every class in drag racing does. And you know there is always like you can look at any class that's ever existed, and and you kind of plot it out. And what you what you kind of end up with, and I'm not saying it's the end of Radio vs. World right now, but in this phase of it, is you definitely are whittling it down to the guys who are able to put like a max effort behind it. And as you always say, this is a max effort style category. Like this is not a running at 75 percent. You'll probably be okay to qualify this is show up with everything you got every time you bring the thing to the starting line or basically don't bother so it's what makes it fascinating to me because it's the only place left in the sport where you have i don't want to say they're unlimited but in many ways these are unlimited race cars that are governed mostly by weight for their combination and you're able to see like the smartest guys with the best parts go as fast as they can with the most technology it's the only place that exists well, and, and you may know more because I know you keep up with, you know, a lot of door car racing. As far as I know, any actual regular door car racing, I don't think that there's a faster, I don't think there's a faster class um, out there racing as far as door cars. I mean, eighth mile, you know, they're going mid fifties. I don't even know if there's anybody else out there just doing that kind of numbers. Are there? No, as of right now, as at this moment, uh, no, the it, it, radio versus world is like the quickest existing class. And, you know, we've talked about this before, like the all time, you know, all time quickest was the old pro extreme at, uh, in PDRA. And, you know, in the fall, that 348 is the quickest, you know, full-bodied, uh, you know, eighth-mile run ever made in drag racing. And by the time we get to the fall and the weather comes to these guys and the racetracks are a lot cooler, um, there's no way that that 348 lives to see, you know, lives to see another year as far as the quickest pass. Somebody's going quicker than that in Radio vs. the World this year. Yeah, I, I, I definitely believe by... You know, I'm going to say by the the February race of uh, of 21, I'm going to say it's definitely fallen by then. Uh, and you know, I think something else that also makes RVW live is that we actually have, like, let's say there's going to be 20 cars, we have five of them that are nitrous cars. So we still have five nitrous yeah. cars out of the top 20 that are going to still be there, still, I mean, fighting it out in top two or three spots. Well, look, we saw we saw once again at the you know last event we saw Stevie Fast Jackson in his screw blown car you know tuned by Billy Stockland racing against what is effectively his own teammate Marcus Burt, a car that Stevie tunes, which is a nitrous car. And in order to keep all this stuff the most interesting it can be, you know, you got to have all those combinations. And I realize it you know causes you uh, it causes you short nights and heartache and heart attacks when people are climbing up your back all the time about the rules, but. We, st- we sit there and look at the qualifying sheets, we look at the elimination results, and you can't really argue with how these cars are balanced at this point. 
And I think what happens a lot is, Brian, is that you have one guy will be up in Maryland somewhere, and then you'll have one guy down here in, in basically Miami. And you can't, you can't compare those numbers, you know, different times. It's like you said, I've been sitting there with you in front of the computer, whether it's RVW or Pro 275, and it's you got to have same for same. We need to see the same car under the same conditions going on the racetrack at the same time. Because if not, you're you're comparing, uh, you know, apples and oranges. And it's just, I want to see it where this, the, all the cars are there in one place at one time. And then if there's some kind of big, you know, gap, then we can uh, we can take a look at it. But I think that if they're there at the same time, same places, there's it's close. Yeah, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the couple of races that you've held, uh, you know, over the course of our, you know, COVID-19 prediction or uh, predicament that we're in here in, in the country. And um, one, the earlier one, which was held, what was that? That was in May sometime, late May, was called the COVID-8. It was a quick eight style race. And then you just held one called the Magic 8 just a couple weeks back, both at Orlando. And, you know, these are events that weren't on the schedule. These are events that weren't really necessarily planned to happen, but there you go. You kind of put this together and pull it off and they were great. And I think they were important for, they were important for drag racing to just keep people talking about the sport and everything else. But I guess I just wanted to ask you, when did you come up with the concept of going, we need to have these races and and why do them? Well, I think that also by talking to um, some sponsors, uh, obviously some, um, some live streaming companies and stuff like that. It's like, everybody's sitting there going, man, we've got to keep drag racing going. And, you know, we we're only a small part, obviously with the, with the radio stuff, the small tire deal. And so we wanted to try to do our part, you know, and, and honestly, I couldn't have had any more fun than what I had at those two races. The fun factor was, you know, was way out there for us, you know, and, and a lot less people to, uh, you know, to have to handle. It's tough when you get big crowds and stuff, but, um, it was a lot of fun that, you know, the people did come out, uh, there was a lot more people came out to the last one than I thought. I, I was really surprised. And honestly, the deal with the eight car shootouts, um, it uh, it's the cream of the crop. I mean, when you when you see those guys qualifying, you're only taking eight cars. Yeah. I mean, they're all they're some bad dudes, you know. And uh, so it, for me, it was like it really helped. I think you know, I I get a little bit depressed here and there, especially you know you see bad things going on in the world and all that. And I think this actually you know it was a very uplifting experience for me. When I left there, I was pumped up about going racing again. When I left there, so. It was one of those deals where, like, all right, I can get into the Sweet 16 now, get into No Mercy, and uh, and the and the racers. I mean, they started just calling every day since we've left there, to, you know, for for pit spots, you know, for all these things, you know, make sure they get locked in for the Sweet 16. And so it really pumped up. I think uh, our our type of race, you know, the the smaller smaller tire guys, it really pumped them up, get them back uh, ready to go. Yeah, and I guess uh, you know one last point to make before I let you go is you're talking about the Sweet 16, you're talking about No Mercy. Uh, these events are coming up in October. The Sweet 16 is normally a uh, a spring style race. It's normally run right around the Gator Nationals, and the whole world came to a stop on that Friday when we were supposed to start the Gator Nationals. So you move that event to October, and then No Mercy will follow it. So talk a little bit about the schedule and these two events basically make up what about a week and a half straight of racing down there in South Georgia. Yeah, well, obviously everything bad went down. You know, you guys were at the Gator Nationals, and they came in, and and the COVID deal was really starting to get, you know, hot and heavy at the time. 
And, um, you know, we looked at it, we talked to the mayor and everybody, and, it, you know, we just, we needed to move it. It was just the right thing to do. So I really didn't know what other date to move it to, Brian. We just looked at it and was like, you know what, we're just going to, you know, get everybody there. We'll set up one time and, and run all these races. Maybe it'll cut down on the actual, you know, help out the racers and, and everybody if they can you know, if they're going to be there, most people park the week before anyway, Brian, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're coming in and they're like, really they're only there one day before they normally would be anyway. So we're like, you know what, let's give them, you know, RVW, you know, they're going to be racing for 90 or hundred grand over the week. Uh, you know, these guys are going to be racing for a lot of money and they can leave the rigs and come back. And, you know, it was just like, I mean, I would rather run it in a little bit cooler weather, but on the flip side of it, Brian, it's again one of those deals. We talk about combinations, everybody being there at the same time. You know, I think that with it not being maybe the most ideal conditions, I think that it'll, again, even up these fields. It'll even up the combinations, the power stuff. And I think that when we get done, I'm hoping to see, you know, all these combinations in the top four or five cars. Yeah, I think it makes total sense, and uh, depending on what happens with the uh, ever-changing, moving NHRA schedule, maybe I'll be there, at least for a couple days. <laughs> I'll sneak Man, out I, I, I hope and pray, uh, yeah, we can sneak you down there for a couple uh, <laughs> couple days in the in the middle of the week or something, so... Hey man, I appreciate you taking the time today. I think uh, I think people certainly got to know you a little bit better here, and certainly got uh, a better picture of exactly what's going on with uh, small tire style drag racing and, and your role in its growth. So appreciate it, Doc. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks, Brian. So three very different guys, three very different conversations in the world of drag racing, both inside and outside the NHRA. Looking forward big time to this weekend's Dodge Indy Nationals presented by Pennzoil. Make sure to tune in this weekend on FS1. You can watch on Sunday morning from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's a two-hour-long qualifying show to get you all caught up to speed. Then you're going to switch over to your local Fox affiliate at 1 p.m., and you're going to watch NHRA Championship Drag Racing live elimination rounds from the Dodge Indy Nationals presented by Pennzoil from 1 to 4 p.m. on your local Fox affiliate. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Get pumped up for this race weekend and hopefully you enjoyed the three interviews on today's show. I'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Until then, see you at the drags.